Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with Kira Sutherland about astrology and health. Uh, so, hey, Kira, thanks for joining me today. Oh my gosh, thanks so much for having me, Chris. Uh, yeah, we've been meaning to do this episode for a while, and I'm really excited about this topic because it's such a big topic that people ask me about so frequently, and I yep. knew you would be a great person to talk to. I've, I've sort of touched on little adjacent issues uh like herbalism a couple of years ago and different things like this like that yeah. but this would be a great time to jump into this so since this is your first time on the podcast could you I tell know. us a little bit about your your background in health and in, in astrology sure so i am it gets a bit confusing my i'm american born um but i've lived all my adult life in australia so all my education is australian i am an australian naturopath which is an undergraduate degree in naturopathy, not postgrad, like it is in North America. So undergrad degree, my postgrad qualifications are actually in sports nutrition. I have a whole other life besides astrology where I'm working with scientists. And um, when I was studying naturopathy, which is about 30 years ago now to admit my age, um, I fell in love with astrology at the same time. And for me, when I found medical astrology, it was the missing link that that we weren't being taught in naturopathy and, you know, natural medicine, people were finishing naturopathy and they were going off and doing traditional Chinese medicine or Ayurvedic medicine. And I was like, come on, where our medicine is as old as these other traditions. Where is our system of elements and analysis to put things through? And I think really systematically. And when I found medical astrology and the history of it, I was like, okay, well, this is our system. We just threw it out about 350, 400 years ago. Medicine was like, no more astrology with diagnosis. And so, yeah, so I kind of fell in love with it at the same time. And um, I was formally studying astrology and then I'm a self-taught medical astrologer. So I don't, I don't break any traditional rules, but my medical astrology has definitely the way I analyze comes from traditional rules. And then being a practitioner at the same time, you kind of can't separate that and just stick to the rules. Like I said, I'm not breaking any rules, but I, I look at it in a very holistic naturopathic kind of way. I guess that's the sure. best way to explain it. So 30, 29 years of clinical practice this year. Okay, nice. That makes yeah. sense. And um, so, yeah, what are some of the ways that astrology relates to health or why is this important? And, um, you know, this is a pretty major, I guess, dimension of life for many people, especially health tends to be something that people tend to take for granted until they yes. they don't have it. And, and yes. maybe that's that's part of where things come in. Oh gosh, yes. So yeah, most people are too busy to pay attention to their health. So that becomes, yeah, it's, and, you know, we could even divide it down by modes or elements for who has more focus on health or not. You know, we, we, if you're looking at the strength or weaknesses of a natal chart, you can also see the people that are going to have to focus on their health from an earlier age. Or if we're talking about constitution, you know, your, your general vitality. Some of us are born with much better constitutions than others. And what I love about medical astrology is the ability to look at that and the ability to see who needs more support. I mean, we all should be focusing on health on a daily basis, but you can also see the signs and the 
the elemental basis for the people who will probably ignore their health because it's so strong for years. And then when something does go wrong and the wheels fall off, then they kind of scramble because they don't know how to take care of themselves or they haven't had to have that focus. And yeah, we could talk forever about modern world and our health, but back to astrology. Um, wow. How yeah, I, I like that question uh, again, Chris. No, that, yeah. that's a good, that's a good point though, that it's like, um, you know, we know through astrology, the different people based on different planets, or let's just say something simplistic, like benefics and malefics in different yeah. areas of the chart, different people experience differing levels of generally like let's say like hardship or yes. you know luck in different areas of life and for some people there might be a propensity where health is an area that they struggle with more whereas for other people that might be an area where they just um for for whatever reason that's not a major issue for them or they just happen to yeah. be lucky in that area yes yes and there's you know depending on um, you know, planetary placements, again, benefics, malefics, and, and, you know, conversations all those planets are having with each other. There's definitely people with much stronger constitutions in general. I, in naturopathy, we call it vitality, your vital force. Um, the way we think of it is you have, it's like a little flame. Like if we had a little pilot light or a flame within us, when we're really healthy, our, our vital force or our flame is huge. And then when we get sick or when we're really stressed or, you know, a bunch of accidents happen, bad luck happens, your vital force gets smaller and weaker. And, you know, if a vital force goes out, you're obviously not alive anymore. But a lot of people are operating from a very weakened vital force situation due to transits, due to lifestyle, due to accidents and illness. And so naturopathy and then also medical astrology is a great way to kind of analyze that or where where are the pressure points coming from and how can we fortify those areas because you know you might have a, some really unfortunate placements in a natal chart and instead of kind of sitting under a rock and going I can't do anything about that with natural medicine or naturopathy or medical astrology there's a great hint as to how to support those areas or support other areas of the chart to kind of take the pressure off that original area that's causing a lot of trouble. So I, I love just even using natal astrology. You know, medical astrology has has really two sides to it. There's horary or decumbiture astrology, you know, medical astrology, where we're looking at an actual illness timing or when you're asking that question around an illness. Um, and then there's natal analysis and both of them are so useful, but I, I tend to heavily focus on natal analysis because I want to see what, what's happening for that person and the, you know, the gifts and the hindrances they were gifted at birth and how to support that. Right. So you focus a lot or you can learn a lot through the natal chart about like the natal constitution of the person. Yeah. And that was a heavy sort of traditional concept, the notion that different people have different constitutions. And it seems like that's something that a lot of different um, longer term um, medical sort of thinking in different areas of the world all seem to develop different like versions of that notion of individuals having a constitution of some sort. Yes. Yeah. So in traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, as well as, you know, Western, what we would say traditional medicine. Yeah. We're always looking at what is that constitutional strength or not? How how vital is that person's general energy and working off that? Um, 
there's also, yeah, that's, that's where I basically start when I'm doing readings with people and just looking at it overall. But again, people with really strong constitutions don't tend to be that interested in medical astrology because they don't need that help until 50 or 60 years old when the wheels start falling off and they've got no idea how to take care of themselves. Right. Yeah. I know somebody like that who just like never gets sick. And if they ever do get like a cold or something, it's just like over in a day and they're done. And I always marvel at that compared to like other people that get sick, like more easily or more, more frequently. Yeah. And look, I'll admit I'm an average constitution. You know, if people meet me, they're like, oh, your energy's high. You're really vital. But I have a really mid-level constitution due to a bunch of different planetary placements and whatnot and genetics. And it's probably what drew me into doing natural medicine in the first place. But what I really want to make clear for people is if you have an average constitution or even a below average constitution, it's not the end of the world because we are the ones that actually learn how to take care of ourselves. We're the ones that learn those little symptoms that pop up that were like, okay, something's not quite right with my digestion or something, you know, I'm getting headaches or the little symptoms that the body gives you, you know, in traditional medicine, we would say, those are the signposts. That's the little yellow flag that the body's giving you that there's an adjustment that needs to happen. You're not doing something right. And you need to make an adjustment to get back to this equilibrium of health. And those of us with average constitutions learn to see those signals a lot quicker than people with a really strong constitution. Because we do, we all have that aunt or uncle that's like basically drinks to an alcoholic level, eats, you know, cream puffs and croissants all day. I have literally this uncle in my life, Um, probably was a smoker for years and they, you know, they're still going in their mid eighties. They probably do have some major stuff, but they either ignore it or they don't tell me about it at this point. Right. Yeah. I saw like a cardiologist on Twitter today say that she had a patient who was 99 years old and she always asked them like how they live to be that long, what the secret was. And she, the lady, this elderly lady said her secret is that she never skips dessert and she eats dessert like every time or every, and it's so funny. Nice. There's like people like that where, you know, for whatever yeah. reason, they just um, persist. And and that's an area like health is not an area where they have issues or sometimes, you know, survive much longer than other people for almost quasi like bizarre reasons. Yes. Yeah. You have the, the oldest lady in the world was in France until recently. And she was like drinking brandy every single day of her life. She smoked till she was like 84 and she still made it into like the teens, like a hundred and teen something. Wow. Um, but, you know, constitutions in general, and again, I, I, I probably should do this as a research project in astrology, but I know in regular medicine, we are not as strong as we used to be. We have, we, we have departed from really strong constitutions and we're not we are not birthing babies with nearly the strength of constitution we used to because of our modern living, because of chemicals we're coming into contact with, because of um, different foods and plastics. And I, you know, I don't want to go down all those theories, but there is the idea that we are all going to need, you know, the younger generations are going to need to pay more attention because they're not born with that hardy, constitution where they, you know, we're coming into contact with hundreds of thousands of chemicals a day, whereas a hundred years ago, 
they were coming into contact with a hundred chemicals a day and like statistically sugar um if we want to talk benefics um sugar ruled by venus we you know into the 1900s we were eating in the u.s we were eating two to four pounds of sugar a year people are now eating over a hundred pounds of sugar a year so you know one of the things to, to bring it back to astrology one of the things i look at which is a little bit um left of center is the fact that our benefics are, you know, our, our Venus and our Jupiter are amazing, but they're also where we overdo it. And in medical astrology, and we have way too much access to Venus and Jupiter foods these days versus what we, you know, used to be scarce. It used to be caveman days. You couldn't find sugar. You know, you, the only thing sweet was fruit that was, you know, um, in season two months a year, or if you manage to steal a beehive, that was your sugar for the year. Whereas we have so much more going on now with benefic style foods, if you want me to call it that way, um, and overindulging that I actually see a lot of daily, you know, not your big health problems, your big health problems are still coming from your malefics and, you know, your Saturn and your Mars causing a bit of issues, but you know, we are overdoing our Venus and Jupiter is the way I kind of couch it for people. Yeah, that's really interesting. And just a realization that all the planets can lend something to this topic of health, especially when the function of that planet kind of goes awry or is led into excess. And it seems like that's actually one of the traditional concepts I always thought was interesting, like medical concepts, the idea that um, it's when things get out of balance or go to extreme or to excess that you start running into problems or running into like health issues. Yes. And every, in my opinion, and a lot of astrologers opinions, every planet can cause issues. You know, I'm seeing as much issue with Venus these days as I am with Mars. Yes, you've got a lot more accidents going on with Mars or infections, influenza, but Venus can get out of control with people and a really, yeah, we can, any planet can kind of get left unchecked and, and go into that excess. And the way I, I, the way you know, the way I like to think about health is it's this continuum. It's this line of if we had, you know, really amazing health and then death or really bad health. And it's this beautiful continuum that we're all sitting on. But every choice, sadly, every choice we make every day about how much we sleep, how much fluid we have, how much alcohol, what foods we're having, every single choice moves us in one direction or another on that continuum. And we forget that. And it's not about being perfect. I'm totally, I I had a little bit of cheesecake last night out to dinner. Let's admit that. Um, So, um, you know, cheesecake brings joy, you know, Venus brings joy. And, and, um, you know, there are, you know, we get driven, I'm jump topics here, but we get driven to eat certain foods because they biochemically change how we feel in the body. And we you know, when we're having sugars and carbohydrates, that is increasing our feel-good neurotransmitters or chemicals in our body. So it's one of the reasons we reach for things like that. So it's, you know, we're trying to soothe, you know, Venus soothes a scratchy Mars. And we 
yeah, we just have access to it probably in a way we shouldn't these days. If that make, did that make sense, Chris? <laughs> yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense um, and is really important. Just yeah, going back to that idea that even though there's a there's a tendency to focus on benefics and malefics, and that's certainly being relevant, especially in in establishing Absolutely. areas of like let's say hardship where certain malefics fall or or greater challenges and difficulties, that yep. the benefics um, can also indicate health issues as well, depending on how they're situated in a chart? Absolutely. You know, Venus has, you know, in medical astrology, it's a little bit tricky because there is a crossover of rulerships. It's not quite as distinct between signs and planets and houses. And I know that freaks people out when they hear that, but there is a little bit of a crossover rulership. And, and you take something like you know, the thyroid, which the thyroid is this organ that sits right in the neck and it's in charge of our metabolic rate, like how fast we're burning up fuels, but it does a bunch of other things, how much energy we have, all kinds of stuff. And if the thyroid goes awry, all systems in the body start going awry. And traditionally thyroid would be ruled by um, mercury because mercury is in charge of all hormones or messages that the body sends around. Um, but the thyroid also gets ruled by Venus because of the rulership in the throat, because of where its placement is. And, you know, in looking at, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of charts a year, I see Venus being the culprit of thyroid issues more often than I see. I'm always willing to find it in Mercury, but I see it with Venus a lot more than Mercury. And, um, there we have a benefic that, you know, goes awry and causes a lot of trouble for a lot of people, right? Right. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um. So in terms of looking at things like like constitution or health or things like that, I guess one of the access points is looking at the the rising sign and, and mm -hmm. the first house and the ruler of the first house, right? Yes. Oh, yes. Huge. So, um, you know, the first, the first house and ascendant and its ruler um, are in charge of our physical body. They are that, you know, it's that meeting point where we meet the world. And that is the, yeah, that rules the physicality of the body. I mean, every planet, depending on where it's placed is going to impact that. But the way I describe it to clients is like, it's like your shield. Like if we were all I always talk about this as if you, we were all Viking warriors. This is this, sh sh these, this is our shield that we meet the world with to try to protect ourselves. And um, that ascendant and the first house and any planet sitting within that first house are going to have massive impact on what we look like um, and also how our body's functioning. And, and those planets sitting in that first are become part of this orchestra that you have to operate with that with that ascendant and then the the ruler of the ascendant it's those are your yeah it's the biggest key for sure and then we we also need to remember your adrenal glands which are your stress your your adrenals are what pump out cortisol and adrenaline and these stress hormones and we are all living in a society that is stressed constantly right we don't unless somebody's off living in the woods not talking to anybody um and the adrenals are a very first house. I mean, they're Mars, but they're a very first house organ as well. And so the minute we get stressed, we kind of get thrown back to our ascendant and our ascendant and the ruler kind of goes into action to try to protect us. And this is where 
you know, living in today's world, we're having so much struggle with, with our constitutions and that ascendant because it's, we're just constantly under attack on our physical body. Did that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Um, and it, it's making me think about, you mentioned earlier about vitality and, and, um, you know, uh, in this concept of like different periods of vitality as well. And it just made me think of how that was tied in with some of the ancient techniques for things like, like the attempts to determine things like length of life, even yeah. though um, that's not usually something astrologers do a lot today. Uh, it seems like some of those techniques seem to work more for determining periods in which a person's vitality might be higher or lower. And oftentimes yeah. they're focused in that technique on on the core triad of like the sun the moon and the ascendant basically yeah absolutely the um back in in you know traditional medical astrology we would determine the high they would call it the high leg so if you're reading old astrology if your listeners are reading old astrology books and it keeps talking about the high leg the high leg is a, some there's a lot of different ways to calculate it and they scare me to death i've read all the styles of calculating it um but it's to determine what your ruling planet is for your health and it's not always the ruler of the ascendant sometimes it is um and um for men you want it if if we're looking at mm, if we're looking at male to female charts, because again, this is traditionally, we're talking about sex assignment at birth. We're not talking about gender. I want to be clear on that when I'm using male and female words. Um, for men, you are often trying to make it be the, the sun is what you were hoping for. For female charts, you were hoping for it to be the moon, but it you have to default to other planets. And it's, um, you know, the way I I explain it to students because I do teach a technique how to find it. But then I basically say, unless something is really going wrong, I don't, I don't overly focus. I take note of what the high leg is, but I think we used high leg a lot more when, um, a, when we didn't know, um, someone's there's a way to calculate it, even if you don't have a really accurate birth time, which was common for, you know, thousands of years. But also the way I joke about it, which is terrible, is when the child was, you know, child mortality was huge. You know, it was like one in three kids did not make it. One in four kids didn't make it to adulthood. You know, we didn't have antibiotics. We didn't have surgery. We didn't have anesthetic, right. antiseptic. You know, life was precarious until the 1900s life was, you know, we forget that antibiotics only came about between World War I and World War II, right? Mm -hmm. um, something like an enormous amount of deaths in World War I were actually post-surgery deaths. They weren't from actual, you know, battle wounds and, you know, World War II death rate goes down because we have antibiotics. But um, with the high leg, sorry, I'm off on a train there with the high leg I kind of joke that you would calculate it to see how strong this person's vitality is but also there was a way of looking at it for how long somebody's actually going to live sort of and it was like well do you give this kid the good food or do you give it the really average food because it's not going to make it you know families had to make those decisions which kid was more vital or not and it sounds really cruel but life was a lot crueler in some ways so yeah, I always think of the high leg as I like it, but it's it's not. I think what we do with our natal chart probably has bigger impact in the long run. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm 
mainly just interested in just the notion that there's these like um sectors in the chart that pertain to things like vitality and that especially the the luminaries and the ascendant being connected with that in some way um and that going back to our earlier discussion just that there can pe be people that have sort of a stronger initial vitality or constitution so that they don't have let's say health issues very often but that even with those people there can still be certain times in the life um, that line up with certain timing techniques where maybe they do go through a period of lower vitality or health um indicated by different like let's say transits or something like that oh yeah absolutely so i use um so perfected years are really interesting to look at as well in the years where you're focusing on the first, you know, if we go to houses, first house, physical body, sixth house is the house of illness, traditionally, um, eighth house is always a little bit, you know, it's considered much weaker health wise. Um, again, if we're looking at the ascendant as that starting point, you know, the sixth and the eighth house are at those hard angles or quincunx or you know to to the first so it's considered not in sight of the first it doesn't have a lot of light and so it's not a it's not considered a strong house it's considered an ill house health wise and then of course the 12th house you know um so transits you know transits to planets um progressions I always find a really interesting thing you know especially looking at not so, not so much the sun because that's going to be forever and ever but progressed moon really depending on what house it's transiting and what sign you know is it a really compatible sign to a lot of their natal chart or is it a bit incongruent I see that really weakening vitality for those few year periods um and then yeah transits in general you know Mars like I, I watch, you know, it's obvious, but Mars is Mars is a little shitster when it comes to um health and transits. I can um and especially things like your Mars return. Mm. Um as much as Mars on the ascendant, absolutely you gotta watch that physical body. But Mars return is um that's a doozy, I think, for a lot of people. And not many people are talking about that. But were you thinking of other things as well, Chris? Um, yeah, I mean, I was thinking of, you know, there's the classic like Saturn transit through the first house through the rising yes. sign and just oh, that yes. um, observation that sometimes people get um, slower, or you feel like you're aging more rapidly sometimes yes. during those periods and other related Saturn things, because the first house is the house that primarily relates to the body that you just feel um, some of the, that Saturn archetype much more yes. vividly, um, especially in, in the body during those times? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So Saturn rules, you know, kind of chronic longstanding health things. Saturn is also in charge of the skin. I know people probably know this, but I'll review it for skin, bones, skeleton. It's not just knees. Everyone kind of goes knees. It's It's all your bones, but it's also all your ligaments and tendons, which is you know, and again, as Saturn is very drying and it crystallizes and pulls things in and it slows things down, like you were talking about. So yes, Saturn through the first, much less energy. Often something occurs where you do get slowed down, um, whether it's, you know, and fatigue is a big one for Saturn. Um, you don't feel as vital. Um, teeth problems really common are having to spend a lot on your teeth at that time. 
Um, but yeah, absolutely aging. You know, another yeah. common thing, Chris, is people have to change their diet with Saturn going through the first. Often they end up on what I would consider restrictive diet. It's like they all of a sudden a lot of their choices get taken away with what they should eat because of a health thing. And they have to really simplify what they're doing. And it it does. It takes away the joy of eating in some ways. I had a friend that had Saturn in the first natally, and I was always struck by, um, she struggled with like anemia and she'd just be very, very cold. She'd always need to yes. have like the heat on and things like that, which I thought was so striking since Saturn, yep. you know, traditionally was supposed to be like a cooling or a cold planet. Yes, absolutely. And it, 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 um, that's really common. You may or may not be talking to someone currently that also has Saturn in the first. <laughs> okay. So yes, absolutely. Um, I run around with little heating pads that go in the microwave constantly. And I'm, I'm married to someone who has this really hot constitution and um, we're always, I'm in Australia right now where it's, we're heading into winter and we're constantly in this battle over if the heater's on or not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah so, and so, and it's like, either, oh, go ahead. Oh, it, I'm just saying any planet in that first really puts an imprint, especially the malefics, but planets in the first are really going to imprint onto someone's physical body and it will be much more obvious in them than planets from other places. That first house is just huge for your physical health. And if you don't have anything there, which I can imagine people are asking, then by transit, it's a big experience, you know, and, and, and I do you know, nothing in the first, in some ways, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. You don't have to juggle these planets with your physical health, but by transit, you really feel it more so than maybe other people that are always dealing with a first house planet. Right. Like at some point you'll go through like a two to three year Saturn transit through your first house or uh, for other people, you know, there'll be a, like a Mars retrograde in your first house can be like an event um, in terms of like health and physical body at some point. Oh yeah. And Mars, you know, Mars hitting that ascendant, you often have accidents and injuries. You know, you see people throw out their back like an inflammatory, you know, Mars is heat, red, you know, Mars is hot and dry, heat, redness, swelling, and pain is the actual medical definition of inflammation. Mm. Um, you can have swelling, you can have, you know, it, it's so, you know, injuring your back, colds and flus, you know, classic viral time, be it what we've all just been through with COVID or I really see like shingles or in the chickenpox virus or the whole herpes family of viruses often get triggered with Mars on that you know, hitting that ascendant or just accidents in general. Yeah. 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 I had, I knew somebody that um, when Mars station, like the day Mar Mars stationed in their rising sign recently, when Mars went retrograde, they got in a car accident. And sometimes you yeah. just see like accidents and, and little acute yes. things like that with Mars. Oh yeah. And they can be little baby things. It doesn't have to be a big, bad injury or illness, but yeah, I definitely, you know, and that's that idea of, do you cocoon yourself while it's going on? Not really. You still need to go out. Otherwise you're going to like burn yourself on the iron at home or something, you know, you right. can't avoid what's coming, but it's a great time to fortify, especially, you know, when I see a Mars coming to the first or retrograding in the first, you want to look at the inflammation state of the body. And a lot of people might not realize most chronic illness is considered an inflam a long-term inflammation state. So, I'm, And 
you know, plus there's the accidents, injuries, falls, bites, stings, you know, Mars used to be Mars, Mars, you know, in traditional medical astrology was like knives, gunshots, falling off your horse that were, you know, getting run over by a carriage. There's all these great explanations from hundreds of years ago. Hmm. Um, It's about what I would say to people, because just knowing, oh my God, doom, this is coming. That's not what it's about. It's about, you know, I like to say, use that Mars, go and do stuff that's healthy for your own Mars and for your first half, fortify that first house. So support the, you know, Mars rules the adrenals, plus I consider the first house the adrenals. So, you know, support the adrenals with herbs like, um, and again, please don't ever take herbs unless you know it's safe for you to take them. They can interact with um, other medications. Um, All natural medicine can be dangerous if done in the wrong way, but like herbs like, Shisandra, withania, which is called ashwagandha in North America. These are just incredible, you know, there's a ton of herbs to support how the adrenals actually function. And if you support your adrenals and your stress response, that will also in turn support your immune system. Because a lot of people don't realize cortisol and stress hormones actually suppress our immune system. And so the immune and the adrenals are very interlinked. And um, yes, support your immune system as you see a Mars transit coming as well, because, you know, it's viruses and infections. So that's my favorite thing is to go after the immune system, but also the adrenals and like making sure you're getting enough sleep because lack of sleep, suppression of the immune system, increased cortisol as well. So sometimes when you see like a difficult transit coming up, you try to do things that will, um, you could kind of anticipate some of the outcomes that could happen and then try yeah. to do things that might help to boost health in those areas or or take additional precautions in those areas to kind yes. of like offset things or or prepare for that and like a forewarned as forearmed kind of approach. Exactly. That's exactly how I work with natal and transit astrology when I'm doing read like medical astrology readings. People often come with a health problem already. So we like dissect down in the natal chart what was that or look at past transits why did that happen um or where it's coming from but yeah absolutely it's about fortifying but you know forewarned is amazing and again you don't to go into so i i label things regular astrology or medical astrology right so which you know is a big umbrella if i say regular but you know, a transit isn't always going to be a physical ailment either. And people get really scared about some transits and be very cautious. I have, you know, you have to be very cautious of what you say to people too, because you don't want to say something really negative and then have them hold that in their head and what we think we can create, you know, and that's, that's the danger in medical astrology is people get really scared. Um, the transit could be a, uh, an emotional or a psychological or a spiritual transit rather than an actual physical embodiment of that transit. So yes, you can predict, but I'm very cautious about what I verbally say around a prediction. Right. Just in terms of clear, being clear that it's like an archetypal, that astrology is archetypally predictive and therefore there's going to be a whole range or like umbrella of possibilities on different yeah. levels. And while you're trying to get some heads up about some possibilities um you don't want to go too far in like assuming it's going to be a very specific manifestation uh, of of this specific thing yeah whatever you think it's going to be it's not i uh, you know in my opinion and i i spend 
at least two or three consults a year, I spend 20 minutes convincing someone they're not going to get cancer from a transit coming up that some other astrologer has accidentally said, oh, that transit could be cancer. You Mm. cannot know that. There's no possibility that you could say that about a transit. There's just, and it's negligent. So, you know, doing medical astrology is, it's, you have to be very careful. You know, you're talking about somebody's physical and mental, emotional well-being. And again, I love the way you you talk about that as, you know, archetypal energy. You just don't know what it's going to be. And it may manifest on multiple levels. Um, but yeah, you have to be so, so cautious with what you say to people. Sure. So, so sometimes you're trying to boost certain things ahead of time. And other times, are you trying to um like balance like if you see a mars thing are you trying to do which is like heating are you going to try to offset that by doing cooling things or or where does that come into play yeah so um medical astrology loves using both what we call sympathy and antipathy style treatments so um what you're talking about there like mars being you know hot and dry so whereas you have venus that's calming and soothing onto something or you know jupiter to saturn um, we will often use those planets to antidote each other and, and we call that treating by antipathy or treating by opposites um i don't always do it via planet sometimes i do it by element so i'm looking at what element is kind of getting out of control and i'm using an opposite element you know hot and dry versus cold and wet um and that's a very traditional technique in medical astrology um so that's treating by opposites and that works incredibly well and our brain thinks that way really easily whereas in natural medicine medical astrology we also have the idea of treating by sympathy where we're actually giving something that is similar to what the issue is and homeopathy Um, actually I won't go into a whole thing on homeopathy, but homeopathy treats by similar. So whatever the problem is manifesting as we give something similar because it's the idea that the energies match each other. And if, if we were talking about health, like a pendulum and it swung up this way, whereas this is regular health, the ailment swung you here, treating by antipathy is just shoving something back in the opposite direction. Whereas sympathy is almost stoking the fire of what you have to kind of swing it up. And then it releases itself and swings back down. I hope that made sense. Like, like if somebody has a fever, you know, they have a a cold or a flu and they've got fever and hot and sweats, we will put them in a hot bath with Epsom salts And we will give them herbs that also make them sweat. We'll give them herbs that are sometimes ruled by Mars to bring out more sweating because we know that viruses and bacteria can't survive above a certain temperature. So again, we wouldn't do this with a little kid because fever regulation is very dangerous. But in an adult that's not an outrageous fever, you actually stoke the fire of the fever herbally or with, you know, putting them in a hot bath and then shoving them under a bunch of covers in bed to kind of sweat it out. You stoke this fire to then bring relief. So we actually do both. And it's it's hard to explain sometimes why you even pick or am I going to go by opposites or similars? And I and I have to admit, sometimes I put together treatments. And then I look at, I put together treatments without using astrology, just as a practitioner. And then I backtrack and I go, oh, okay, was I working sympathetically or, and, or, and with antipathy? And it turns out I 
do both a lot. Yeah, together. that makes sense. Just in terms of like, sometimes you need to accelerate something or accelerate the process of doing something in order to get over or get through it. Yes. Yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, like I say to my clients, when a planet's causing you trouble, be it your natal planet or a transit, sometimes that area is asking to be heard. It's, it's like, um, you might've heard me say this prior, Chris, but it's like the naughty kid in the back of the class. Part of your chart is acting out because it wants you to go focus on that area. And so it causes an ailment you know, probably by transit, but there's a issue happening. So you go and pay attention to it and give it some love or focus. And, and often I'll work by similars then, because again, you're, you're making it feel heard and seen and that often releases that energy. Got it. Okay. Um, so let's say we've talked about some Saturn ailments and we've talked about some Mars things because it can come up with like Mars first house placements. Um, that was all yeah. accidents. Yeah. It's actually, I mentioned the one friend that had Saturn in the first house and was like anemic and had issues with just like cold or, or slow things or, or chronic things. And then I have another yeah. friend with Mars in the first house that would constantly, like bump into things and get like small yeah. cuts and like bruises yep. and, and uh, yep. burns and things like that, which is, is always very funny the, how classic the oh. manifestation of a placement can be. Medical astrology is so obvious. It's almost like caricature ridiculous. Yes, absolutely. I, um, you know, last year on a, sadly, I do a lot of sport every year, right when I'm having my Mars, well, every two years when I'm having my Mars return. <laughs> and last year I managed to tear a muscle the day before a Mars return. It was like, it was ridiculous. Um, and a really simple accident that, you know, I've done this thing repetitively thousands of times in my life. And I just, something went wrong and off, I tore one of my calf muscles. Um, it's, right. It is that obvious, you know, especially Mars, Saturn, they're really obvious. And also to go back to your friend that has iron deficiency or anemia, Mars rules iron. For those of you who don't, I'm sure everybody knows, but I just wanted to remind everybody. So like, um, I collect charts of people who, so the eighth house is considered um, your inherited ailments or genetics, DNA. Um, and um, it's inter and it's also the house of surgery. So often like by transit, people have Mars going through their eighth when they've ended up with emergency surgery and things like that. M Mars was also traditionally rules the surgeon's knife. It's iron, it's cutting. Um, and, but I collect charts of people that have the genetic disorder called hemochromatosis and hemochromatosis is, um, it's inherited and it doesn't always activate in people, but it's when the gene turns itself on, you start absorbing more iron out of the foods you're eating than you should. Now, iron is really toxic to the body. And we actually only absorb about, if you're eating animal sources of iron, you only absorb about 20 to 22% of the iron you eat. If you're eating only vegetable sources, you only absorb about eight to 12% hemochromatosis activates and you start absorbing, I don't even know the percentage, but it's a lot higher. It's mm -hmm. dangerous to have too much iron running around your blood. Your body doesn't want that. So it dumps it into organs and organs with too much iron start oxidizing. They literally start rusting and it, it will go to the liver and the heart are really common places. It's, it's very dangerous if you don't treat it. The treatment for it 
is literally to bleed people. It's one of the, you know, if you think of old bloodletting, it, it actually is the treatment is we extract blood out of people's bodies until their iron stores drop because then the body's making more iron, more blood that doesn't have iron in it yet. Okay. And sorry, that was a very long explanation. Um, no, that's, that's a funny bit of trivia. I didn't know that that was the case, but that makes sense in terms of how they how they treat that. Yeah, you you also get them if they're having iron rich foods. You get them to have opposite things that are really high in tannins. So, you know, this is where you're going Mars against Saturn. You're going with um, astringent foods or herbs to bind the iron is actually the treatment as well. So, like, get somebody to drink, uh, you know, black tea or green tea, which the tannins will bind to the iron. You won't absorb as much, but with the majority of the charts that I've located, they have Mars in the eighth natally, mm, okay. which is really interesting to look. And it like seems comical. I mean, not everybody with hemochromatosis is going to have that in their chart, but it's really, it's, it's interesting to look at what's going on with their Mars, be it in the eighth or aspecting the eighth in some way or chart ruler. And yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, um, yeah. it's obviously medical astrology is so obvious sometimes. Right. And that's a funny thing where sometimes astrologers can like overthink it and things, think that things are going to be more complicated or more obscure than it is when sometimes it's actually the manifestation is just sitting, staring right in front of you, or, or yes. it ends up being much more simple and straightforward than you almost even anticipate. Always, not always, but often. And, you know, in studying medical astrology and reading, I, I think I've literally read every book that exists on medical astrology you know, there's natal medical astrology. There's looking at transits, progressions, or if people use solar arcs, there's looking at perfections. There's looking at horary decumbiture charts, but then people will also, you can look at a solar return chart for kind of an imprint for the year. Um, in Joytish, um, they look at moon cycles a lot. I've played with that a lot lately, but people will then go to midpoints. People will go to all kinds of really small aspects. And, and I get that. And I'm not disagreeing with, you know, everybody does what works for them. But I often don't have to go to those extra things to look at. To me, 95% of the time when people show up health-wise, I can locate it within natal transits progressions and if i have to go to horary i will look at that but i actually don't even do decumbitures as often as a lot of other medical astrologers and it might be that i'm just lucky that i've also had a lot of medical you know education so i can get down to it it, it really depends how many layers you have but yeah i know other medical astrologers that are obsessed with midpoints and and I might, I might be doing myself a disservice and not looking at those enough. But to me, it often is just so obvious. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. So let's see, we've talked about the Ascendant and its ruler. We've talked a little bit about the sixth house. And maybe that's something we could focus on more is like the sixth and the twelfth. Or do you see yeah. like a distinction or what sort of distinction do you see between the two? Oh, the six and the 12. Yeah. So six house, traditionally house of illness, um, house of service. Some people will agree with this or not, but, um, you know, the six house is a house of hard work, right? They're, they're like that. It's not an easy house. Mm -hmm. 
but as, and maybe this is me overlapping my naturopathy to it, but I really see the sixth house as also the house where we can do the hard work for our physical body to try to prevent too much impact from that sixth house, you know, of illness. So some people don't like that I say that, but I will be honest, I use it that way. And I think it's come about, I don't really think I'm breaking any rules, but I, it's really come about that it's, it's, you know, health is, it's like we talked about earlier, health is freaking hard work and it's daily. It's your, it's, it has to be a ritual or a routine. And so, yes, I'm always going to look at the six for causing most of the big problems besides the first house. Um, But I'm also going to look at the six to, if there's going to be a problem, then I got to go there to fortify it. Right. I think I think we get so scared in medical astrology with, oh, the sixth house is where all this hard stuff's going to happen. And to me, well, then that's calling you to do work there. It's calling you to, you know, not run away from that area. You need to support it. So I do look at the sixth, you know, the cusp of the sixth, the ruler of the sixth, very important for health ailment triggers, planets, you know, most of the clients showing up to see me have, have like lovely, not lovely, but stelliums in the sixth. And it's why they end up at a medical astrologer. So sixth house is considered where you have acute ailments. Although I really think it's, it's, it's more, a better wording would be it's the health stuff you have to deal with every day. And a lot of that becomes chronic long-term acute medically is considered, you know, happening right now. So that's, you know, true acute is only a month long, but in other medical texts, they'll give it a year. And after a year, it becomes chronic. And then we dash over to the 12th house. So the 12th house, which was traditionally hospitals, institutions, all of that, the 12th house really has become chronic ailments. Yeah. And things that are a bit hidden from us, right? Things that we can't quite figure out, you know, and that's what a chronic ailment is. We can't figure out how to fix it. Yeah. sense. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Those things that are persistent or things that can be obscure and hard to uh, get a handle on or hard to figure out how to address. Yes. Very, you know, it's elusive. You can start to address it and then it kind of shifts and changes into something else. And so there's this constant adjustment and, you know, the way, and this comes from um, Jansky, who was a astrologer who passed medical astrologer who passed away in the eighties. He talks about, you know, the hard work is in the sixth that chronic to the 12th, but he's, he very much talks about if you ignore your sixth house, if you ignore your, your um, ailments in the sixth, they're going to land you in the 12th, right? Because Mm -hmm. if you don't deal with it in the daily, you will end up with it chronic. And I, I love, I don't love that idea because it's bad health, but that six twelfth is a real axis of ailments and things we really have to deal with. And again, by transit, if there's nothing sitting there natally. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and with some of this, it also goes back to or is tied into some of the classical ideas of assigning even something as simple as like zodiac parts or signs to each of the parts of the body. And sometimes that can come into play in very literal ways, I think, right? Oh, absolutely. And this is where we have this crossover, you know, and everyone talks about don't do cookie cutter astrology. And I, you know, sign is not planet is not house. But in medical astrology, there is a great, great crossover. So a lot of first house issues 
are similar to Aries issues or similar to Mars issue, you know, the traditional rulers. And yeah, literally the 12th house is the immune system and it's the feet. And, and uh, we also talk about the lymphatics and your lymphatics, for those that know, is kind of like your junk collecting system, but it's part of your immune system. And, and um, yeah, things are, things are so literal in medical astrology. It's almost, it is, it's comical. Right. Yeah. Um, and Did you have an example you were thinking of when you brought that up? Uh, example of what? Oh, when you were talking about the literal body parts, you know, like head to to the first house, throat to the second. Yeah, I mean, I've just seen occasionally, um, you know, if a certain there's like a difficult placement and it's in a specific sign of the body, sometimes like having a specific injury that relates to that, like, um, you know, having a Mars and Pisces in mm. the, let, let's say the sixth house or something like that having that get activated by a Mars transit and somebody like, you know, injuring a foot or something like oh, yes. that, literal. which seems, yeah. yeah, it's just very literal and very straightforward sometimes. It's, it's, yeah, it's almost so obvious. You're like, this is, it almost feels like a joke, how literal it can be. But again, that's medical astrology. And, you know, we can go back to the Egyptians placing um, body parts to um, signs. So, and probably even further back than that, but you, I will leave the history to you. Um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. You know, um, I may or may not have um, a lot of planets in the sign of Aries and I have seven sets of stitches in my body. Six of them are in my head. Oh, literally. wow. Okay. Yeah. Like it's that literal. Um, yeah. It, and, and it's, you know, it just gives you those great hints as to where to support going back to that ascendant, the sun and the moon, you know, incredible places to fortify if you don't, you know, and, and, and one of the ways I love using medical, astro you know, medical astrology was used a lot more kind of for diagnosis. If we go back in history, because we didn't have x-rays and MRIs and blood tests and all these things. And whereas more, in modern times, um, it can be used a lot more for how to support the body. And I think that's a beautiful key to know where we can support someone rather than just go, oh, this is the problem, right? I love that we have that ability to help ourselves. Yeah, for sure. That diagnostic function, it's like if it's the 12th century and you don't have like an x-ray machine and you have this yeah. um, thing that can get give you some like insight into what's going on through this, you know, interesting symbolic system, then it's like, yeah, you, you use that to diagnose and try to figure out what's going on. Yeah. And one of the, one of the things I love about medical astrology is like someone can show up with something like we, we can also discern which system is really pulling, is creating a problem when it's not so obvious, like we were talking about before, injuring your foot and Pisces and things like that. But like people show up with allergies, right? Mm. So like food, let's talk about food sensitivities, right? People are eating foods, not an anaphylaxis, um, but like an actual, like just a food sensitivity. They're not quite right when they eat that food. Um people show up a lot with food sensitivities, but there's different ways to look at, even if you can name the foods, what is the underlying system that's going awry? Because a food sensitivity can be that your gut integrity, your gut lining 
is too loose. We call that leaky gut. And you're absorbing too many bigger particles. Like your digestive system isn't working and big proteins are making it to your bloodstream. Um, so then your body is actually, so we know the gut is part of the problem, but we know the immune system is seeing these big proteins as invaders and it's going and attacking. And so we know it's the immune system that's really going awry. Whereas other times with allergies, and again, you would see this more with, um, so say you, um, somebody was a Gemini or a Virgo or, you know, watching, uh, you know, Mercury or maybe the third house be involved in an issue, then I would consider the nervous system rather than the immune, I mean, the immune system is having a reaction, but it might be that their nervous system is hypersensitive and overreacting or part of their lungs, you know, respiratory system is, is part of the issue. So it, it's beautiful when someone's having like a sensitivity or like if you're having Um, it, that can be the immune system or it can be the respiratory system or it can be the nervous system. And, and medical astrology, by looking at the natal chart, you can kind of discern which all the systems are involved, but what is the big culprit system that I, what is the underlying problem? Because you can treat symptoms, but unless you get to the cause or the underlying issue, you're not going to have complete remediation. So I love that medical astrology, you know, and I, I know with these certain clients, I got to support your nervous system more than I have to support your immune system. And I think that is one of the gifts of medical astrology and especially playing with body parts and houses for which systems are under stress and modern medicine can't really, there aren't tests to show us that. And again, in naturopathy, sorry, I'm on like a monologue here, Chris. That's in okay. naturopathy, we have this belief, we call it the septic foci theory. And it's, and it's in natural, this is not medical astrology, but we have this idea that we are all born with one or two systems that are just our weak, our, they're our Achilles heel. But I love that in medical astrology, I can figure out your Achilles heel by your natal placements. So I'm trying to overlap. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And just yeah. that idea of trying to be like a little bit more holistic because there's sometimes a tendency in modern medicine to focus on the symptoms and trying to like address those and, and counteract that somehow without getting to the underlying cause. Yeah. Yeah. And that's our biggest problem. You know, if you have, um, in Australia, we say eczema, but over in North America, you would say eczema, I think. Um, if you have a red skin rash, you're given cortisone cream, which is, you know, that's actually you know, very Mars treatment for Mars. It's suppressing this immune reaction. But in natural medicine and medical astrology, we have the belief that if you, you know, why are you getting the skin ailment in the first place? Are you coming into contact with something physically causing a rash? Are you ingesting something that's causing the rash? Because that's really common as food allergies with, with skin issues. But if you're putting cortisone on it, yes, it temporarily goes away, but you're literally suppressing the signpost that the body's like, Hey, something's, you know, skin stuff is the, the body telling you something's wrong on the inside. But if we just, and don't get me wrong, if you have a bad cortisone rash and you need to go to some big funk, you're going to the Oscars next week, put the cortisone on and feel better for the week, but don't ignore the fact that 
your body, it's those signposts I was talking about before, telling you to pay attention somewhere else. We also have the belief that if you suppress something in one area, it's just going to go in and pop out in another area. Right. One of my most annoying like life things about life is that sometimes <laughs> we do things or, or we we eat things or we we take different things early in our life that later we find out that we were like allergic to that or that that doesn't do well with our system for some reason. Mm. Yeah. But like for some reason you don't, sometimes it takes many years and you sort of wish that you could have gone back and, and had that knowledge earlier, but oh just gosh. the idea that sometimes you can be doing something that's counterproductive and almost hindering yourself in some way or even harming yourself and like not realizing it. Absolutely. And, you know, Chris, I, yeah, I absolutely agree. And sometimes those are things that you thought were healthy and they're right. not. Yeah, it just it makes me think of like the twelfth house even, and the some of those traditional notions of like self undoing, which undoing. you know on a on a very core level symbolically is just like doing things that aren't that are somehow undermining yourself, perhaps unintentionally or without realizing it. Yeah, absolutely. And we could look at a you know self undoing. We could also look at addiction, you know. Mm. Or and I'm not just talking addiction like oh they're addicted to heroin or cocaine or something like that. Like we're addicted some of our biggest addictions are food and we know and and that can be some of our greatest undoing is we we think we're doing the right thing and eating a certain diet but in the end it's absolutely depleting our constitution or causing bigger problems and you know there is no one diet for everybody you know and and for some people you know, eating meat really works for them. Other people, it doesn't. Other people, you know, vegan, vegetarian or paleo, whatever, you know, it's, it's, there is no one right diet. And um, we now know that eating foods that we're slightly sensitive to, not this overt allergy, actually triggers off opiate receptors and the cannabinoid receptors in our body, which keep us craving these foods that are not good for us, right? So, and that's a real 12th house. It's that self undoing and addiction at the same time. And it's, and is that our far, a fault, you know, biochemically, our body is driving for us to have these little highs all the time through certain foods. It's incredible. Like as a naturopath, nobody likes me for it, but I take a very large percentage of people off dairy food. Dairy food is yummy. You know, who doesn't like ice cream or, chocolate or cheese you know people love that stuff but for a lot of people it's it's a self-undoing food yeah that's really tricky I, I like though how with this um that astrology can help us show us that each person is unique and it's like another way just to sort of confirm or emphasize what you were saying in terms of that there's not a one-size-fits-all for everybody in terms of health models and you really have to recognize each individual person's unique, not just constitution, but unique strengths and, and um, sensitivities and using astrology as a way of, of getting to the heart of that as a almost like shortcut instead of, I kind of imagine like, for example, with, um, you know, with, with allergies in order to do an allergy test, how you do the the thing where where sometimes they'll put like little bits of stuff on a person's back and you'll just go yeah. through all the different things somebody could be allergic to, but that's yeah. like a whole process instead that's of- That's called a, a RAST test. 
Okay. Just so you know. Yeah. R-A-S-T, at least in Australia. And that's one reaction of your immune system. Then looking at the foods as they react to your blood is a totally different part of the immune system. But yeah, it's painful. Rest tests are horrible. I watched my daughter go through, I made my daughter do it. And um, it was horrifying. They're sitting there with, you know, 60 potential allergens causing these big welts on the body and they're not allowed to touch it. It's horrible. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I a just Mar- like- that's a Mars issue there. That's, Mar- that's a Mars way of looking at a reaction. Literally, they're poking you with a pin and putting something in your skin. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and, but just with astrology that you might be able to, not that you can sidestep that if you're trying to figure out allergies, but as a broader sort of metaphor using astrology to get to the heart of, you know, trying to figure out what areas a person might have certain problems with, as opposed to just like empirically trying everything out and just like seeing what a person reacts or doesn't react to. Yeah, absolutely. And it's expensive to try everything out, right? You know, all those different styles of testing are hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And that it goes back to looking at what planets under a lot of stress in the natal chart or are in detriment or fall, you know, you know, poorly aspected. Um, And also just looking at which, if we're relating body parts to signs, which signs are under more stress. Like I said before, Someone could come with food allergies, but they have this incredibly air dominated, you know, um, very Gemini chart. I know I need to go after their truly underneath. It's their nervous system and respiratory system that I need to support. Whereas the Pisces shows up and I know it's the immune system I need to go for. If, if, um, you know, an Aries shows up and it's not that I'm not going to treat the other systems, but an Aries shows up. I know I got to get after their stress response. They're, they're probably suppressing their immune system through their adrenals and their cortisol. So it, it's, it is cheating. It's completely shortcut cheating. And it's what I love about it. It's magic. It's literally magic. Yeah. And I think that, I think that's basically like every astrologer's reaction and every astrologer's like motivation, because all of us develop sometimes these different it's interesting astrology, but also there are other specializations and areas of specialization in the world, whether it's, you know, for you, astrology and health, and you're able to use astrology as like a, a like a shortcut or like a life hack or like a yeah. cheat code to like, you know, figuring things out that you shouldn't be able to know that easily or quickly otherwise. And there's other people that use it for things like um, psychology and using it as like a shortcut there instead oh, yeah. of like doing years of therapy years of therapy in order to like figure out some of the things like maybe getting an idea of some of those things ahead of time and then using that to kind of help triangulate not to the exclusion of doing like the practical work that's necessary but just as like an enhancement um or astrologers that use that like historians that use that to research history or other things amazing it was just making me think talking to you about this and how you use it makes me think of that and how astrologers are always that's really what we're doing oftentimes is using astrology as like this tool to enhance um, or like a cheat code for whatever our, our other specializations are. Absolutely. And it's, and again, that's the magic of it. And the fact that there are so many different areas that we can do that with, and we don't have to be, we don't have to be genius in all those areas. We can have our specialty and, you know, someone was asking me the other day, I did a, re- what I call a regular astrology reading, like a, personality, you know, let me read your natal chart. 
And mm. because I almost don't do those anymore. I can, but it's, I'm so focused on the medical and it's, and it's beautiful to have your niche and become that, I'm not going to call myself an expert, but, um, you know, to have that area that just lights you up and it is, it's like a code that you can read the universe better, be it historically, you know, um, I think, you know, I, that area of astrology is absolutely amazing. And I love reading about it, but I'm not, I'm not great at that side of it. Right. I have my, my thing, but it's just, I think astrology is such that gift. You know, I was reading some crazy time article or, you know, someone was talking about the increase in people turning to astrology at the moment, especially the younger generations, you know, the Gen Z and millennials. Mm -hmm. And why is it increasing so much and what, you know, what's happening with that? And it was exciting. It was like in the last four years, it's almost doubled the interest in astrology. And I just think it is, it's this beautiful, it's a different life hack to understand ourselves, be it historically, physically, medic, you know, emotionally, psychologically, and just understanding the world symbolically. I just, isn't that what we're all trying to figure out anyway? Right. For sure. Yeah. And just, yeah, that, that huge influx. Cause it seems like there hadn't been an influx of like younger and newer people into astrology at that level since like the 1960s. Yeah. So it has been a really interesting phenomenon over the past five years or so. Oh my God. It's been crazy. And, um, and so exciting. And, and um, yeah, and I just think it gives us, you know, because we're all here kind of trying to figure out what is the meaning of what we're doing? What are we trying, you know, what and what finding our passion. And again, this I'm going way off of medical here, but finding your passion and what like think about you, Chris, and, and what you're passionate about in astrology. And that gives you, I am going to take it back to medical that enhances your vitality by finding those loves and finding those things that just light you up. And that is enhancing medically that rising sign that, you know, that sun sign that, you know, and I don't know all your astrology. So, um, but those are the things, you know, finding those things that light you up is that is stress management. And so in some way we're using astrology as this, what has been a very five stressful years that helps, you know, it actually helps with our cortisol levels and support our system. So I will bring it, I can bring anything back to health really, if you just give me long enough. <laughs> right. I think one thing that came up there though, is with all these different areas, even something like another one I didn't mention was like financial astrology, for example, is you also need to have training and be good at what you do just in that area outside of the astrology. And that's like a really important component. And that's something that you've done is that you have a really extensive background in these other yeah. areas of health. And that's actually really crucial because otherwise you're not going to necessarily be able to apply the astrology as effectively in that context if you're not good at both basically at the same time. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm not trying to dissuade anybody who does regular astrology from studying medical. And there are safe ways to apply basics of medical if you don't have medical training. But yeah, absolutely. It's it's for me, it's so you can find all the layers really quickly of what the body is trying to tell you because I have 30 plus years of studying or or working in um, health professions. And uh, I, I don't even know how many clients I've seen over the years. I lecture at university. I supervise students as they do their intern hours as well. So I get to watch all these baby naturopaths, nutritionists as they see clients. So I get to just watch it. And I get to watch 
them all. Yeah. It, it It's just such a gift that I am always on that, you know, dealing with the body and physiology and learning all the latest, you know, what's fun, Chris, is I get to learn all the latest information medically. And then I swear it's just justifying the medical astrology again and again, like all this medical information that's just come out on the gut brain axis, like how our digestive system has this direct line with our vagus nerve straight up to the brain and this conversation that's happening there. But also we now know our digestive system, especially our small intestines, which is Virgo or the sixth house, um, our digestive system holds 70% of our immune system. Immune system is Pisces in the 12th house. And so you have this beautiful awareness that what's going on in the gut is massively impacting the immune system. And that's that sixth, 12th house. Op- like it just justifies whoever figured out all the medical astrology. They were so spot on, but they didn't even know this stuff. You know, like that's the stuff that blows me away or the vagal nerve vagus nerve kind of, you know, that sixth house, Mercury, traditional ruler of the six, you know, oh my God, it's our digestive system talking to our brain. And it's like, it's, it takes my breath away how awesome it is when science confirms what we already knew in medical astrology. Yeah. I think that just, it, it just goes back to the, it's like, to the extent that astrology figured out really something core about how the universe operates and functions and that it provides some actual legitimate insight into that as well as into how people's lives go on a symbolic level that that it's like that continues to be true throughout different eras and different civilizations and stuff because there's something at a, at a really core level about what they figured out with that system that speaks to the human experience of of life and all the things involved in it Oh my God. It's, it's so like, if you sit back and look at it, you just go, that is beautiful. And like, how did they even figure that all out? Like, if you look back at the history, oh my God, I like more and more, I'm like kudos to the people who analyzed this and and figured it out that, that symbolism of the, the universe and the, you know, the planets. And it's just, it, I'm more in awe of it every day. And I'm in awe of the human body because it's complicated and oh my God. How did that get put together? <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And the evolution of humans and different things like that. There's actually a lot of interesting stuff there. Um, I did want to ask you about the outer planets because we've talked a lot about the traditional planets yeah. and how the outer planets show up in health. Like, for example, if somebody has, you know, outer planets um, connected to health or bodily sectors in the chart, how have you seen that manifest just in your experience? Yeah. So I do use the outers. Um, I do focus on more of the traditional planets, obviously, because that's where medical astrology comes from. But you can't dismiss the outers in health ailments. I see, especially by transit, they trigger off cascades of things we need to go look at. So, you know, Neptune and the immune system or Neptune being hard to figure out, hard to diagnose, you know, tradition, I shouldn't use the word traditional. With Neptune in the sixth is a classic placement for not being able to figure out what the hell, what is going on with someone's ailments. Like it's a, you know, 
if you ever meet anybody who's like, I hate modern medicine, no one can figure me out, they're all stupid, you know, you get meet these people at conferences that'll be like, I hate modern medicine. I, I will almost guarantee they've got Neptune on an angle or more commonly Neptune in the six, because it just kind of puts this filter you can't see through. So yeah, Neptune, all the outers, but they- Yeah, just yeah. Neb nebulousness surrounding like health issues. That would be a good like yeah, keyword for Neptune. A, that's such a great word. Yes. Um, so yes, I do use all the outers. I especially look at them triggering off health um, health issues or triggering off insight into why a health issue is already happening and maybe what to go do about it. Sometimes it's more of an enlightenment and and half half not half but getting to the heart of an ailment is sometimes understanding more about the ailment or or the bigger picture of an ailment and what you need to learn from it and i'm not saying all ailments and health stuff some of it's just physical but some of it has that bigger understanding of ourself that we need to go through um but yes i definitely use the outers yeah so even yeah. sometimes maybe a period where a person is going through a nebulous health issue and they're not able to figure out maybe would coincide with the Neptune transit. But then sometimes I know with Neptune transits, you get to the other side of the transit and then things become clear or something that was yeah. obscure, you eventually like um, figure out. But it's like while you're in the midst of that, sometimes it can be really hard to to put your finger on exactly what's going on. Yes, that's a great description of it. And sometimes that's part of it. Sometimes there's a surrender in not getting to know that you have to go through to get to the other side, you know, mm. and that's not fun. I mean, I've been there. Um, I have a history of chronic fatigue and trying to figure out what's, you know, what's going to fix something. And sometimes it's not, sometimes it's part of that surrender that you're kind of in that Neptunian void where you can't do anything about it. And, um, and then getting to that other side, it's, yeah, it's not fun. And, you know, Uranus with, you know, sudden things happening are really erratic or unusual. And, you know, the, the beauty with the outer planet transits is they're, again, they can be very well, Neptune isn't obvious, but you can see the energy happening around that ailment, you know, because a Neptune energy versus a Uranian energy is very different. Um, mm -hmm. Or, you know, Pluto, you know, and Uranian energies can also be accidents and sudden things happening, uh, you know. Um, um, but things like Pluto, you know, Pluto also, you know, in medical astrology, Pluto's going deep, but it's also about deep detox and detox can be physical and can be emotional, mental, spiritual. And it's a lot of layer, you know, if Pluto is involved, there's a lot of layers involved. And then there's a lot of, you know, if we want to talk about skin shed, you know, transformation of shedding different layers of yourself, be they physically or emotionally. And so it just, again, astrology gives you these great, archetypes that you need to go down. And if, if you're an astrologer working with medical and you don't know the things to tell people about, you know, supplements or, 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 or herbs, you know, the emotional archetype, you know, the psychological archetype, and you can facilitate a client that way, you know, in, in, in natural medicine, we have a belief, we call it the holistic triad, mental, emotional, and physical. 
and we have these three layers to ourselves and three layers to our health. And when something goes wrong in the physical, often the other two kind of go askew as well. They all kind of work together or go out of sync together. And the beauty is if you start working on one, so say you have a physical ailment that you just can't get on top of, if you start supporting, and you can figure out what planet is causing that, you can start to support that planet psychologically or emotionally, and it will hopefully pull back the physical. It'll ease. Again, it's like the planet's getting hurt. It's the naughty boy, the naughty person. Um, you know, in the back of the class and you start to give it some attention and love, even if it's not on the physical plane and it will hopefully help that, you know, because vitality that we talked about and constitutionally, it's on all three of those levels. It's not just physical. And, and this is where I think, you know, and I'm by no means an expert in this area, but some of the astro magic people are doing at the moment and petitioning and, you know, uh, using prayer through a, you know, the prayer is probably not the right word, but using a lot of that remediation, again, it's focusing on that other level that can hopefully pull the physical when we get stuck. Did that make sense? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it just ties it back. When you mentioned like me mental, emotional, and physical and the connection between those two, it made me think uh, again, and you mentioned vitality going back to the, the big three and the sun, moon, and rising, and maybe why those are so crucial, not just partially as, as psychological or character indicators, but how sometimes our psychology and, and our character can can be tied in with physical or health things as part of a, a bigger picture. Yeah, absolutely. And that's those big three. Absolutely. You, um, you know, I often think of it um, mind, body, emotional, mental, physical, and then you could add in spirit or spiritual. And you, you also then have the four elements, you know, you have you know, emotional with water and physical with earth and air with mental. And then you could do spirit or vitality with fire. And um, I use the elements a lot that way to kind of work with. And again, doing regular astrology, if you're not, if you don't do a lot of medical working with, you know, w w what stress is going on or looking at your big three elementally and how they need to be expressed is such a simple, you know, food's very easily fall into the elements, herbs fall into the elements, activities fall into the elements. And it's a really easy way to support those big three in the body is elementally. Cause you can go down this crazy rulership of herbs and planets. And there's a lot of disagreement over those rulerships and, and there's a lot of similarity. I'm in the middle of doing this massive chart to try to look at who, who said what about where, and, and other people have done that as well. Um, and, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, do you look at the timing of giving medicines? Do you look at, you know, um, hours of, you know, because there's looking at planetary hours and when to give certain medicines. And there's all these rules about it. And um, you can go that deep. And at times I will, but often bring it back. Health is, it's actually about doing something basic and we don't always have to get down to that detail. The detail can help, but I want people to remember how simplified it can be. Like with the element, like the elements are so underrated, I reckon, in medical astrology. Yeah, for sure. And just in general, um, how rich they are in terms of the the range of meanings and things and how that underpins 
most of the other things in the chart is just those simple uh, elemental qualities uh, and characteristics. Yeah. And personality. And, you know, if you go back in medicine, this is where we were doing the humors and the temperaments. And and there's a lot of great books on that and how to figure out what your temperament is de depending on your astrological makeup. And again, there's disagreement on how to analyze temperament as there's disagreement in every topic in astrology. Um, um, but I often bring it back to the elements rather than the temperaments, maybe because I'm an Aries and I like to keep it simple and I'm not smart or something. I'm not quite sure why I do this, but I think the elements are so obvious and easier to work with, even than dissecting down to temperament, because there's, I, I think the doctors that were using temperaments you know, we didn't understand as much about the body and I'm not disagreeing. I love what they've done and said. And there's, like I said, there's great books on it, but it's a lot trickier to get your head around than the elements. And so I often teach, when I teach medical astrology, I teach much more of elemental use because it's, it's more, it's obvious in nature, the elements more so than temperaments and humors. Yeah, I agree. I'm much more pro element as well versus oh, the like focusing that. on the temperament. Yeah. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. And yeah. it's something I tried to emphasize in the Zodiac series that I just did, but what a fundamental um, access point that is for understanding the signs of the Zodiac and just understanding people's birth charts based on even just elemental predispositions and like what does a person have more of in a chart or what does a person have less of in a chart and how does that that affect things? Yeah. And it's like, I remember that's like the first class when I studied right. astrology, my teacher went, I think we did elements before we did signs. And I feel like elements get moved to the side because they're so simple yet they're deep and they're so telling. I teach whole like long classes on the elements medically, because again, you can do all herbs, all foods, all activities. And it's so easy to look at a chart and go, oh my gosh, you're really dominant water and you've got no earth. I'm not talking about you. I'm just in general. Um, mm. I don't know your astrology. Um, and it's like, okay, well, that's easy. I can go after that. I know how to prescribe earth things to try to balance that out. And, and a lot of the times we've already figured it out intuitively and we're already some of our favorite pastimes help support our missing or depleted elements. Yeah. We're also yeah. good at being a little bit addicted to our good, our elements that are high. Yeah. Or, or we import people into our lives that have that element that oh, we're yes. lacking and then they are the one that get us to do those things that we're otherwise sort of missing out on. That's so true. I may or may not have married somebody who was my missing element. <laughs> nice. That's very cliche of you, but also romantic at the same time. That's it, funny. But it, you know, and it irritates me to no end at times because it is my missing. I'm like, what, what do we, why, why do we have to do this? But yeah, right. it's good medicine for me. Yeah. Um, well, that's really funny how I think the longer I'm in astrology, how sometimes those like astrology 101 things that we learn first, and then we move on and we try to get into more complicated or advanced or complex techniques. But then sometimes the later you get in your career, how you end up, things come full circle and you end up somehow yeah. back where you started and realizing that sometimes the most basic things in astrology are actually some of the most um, compelling things that are the, mm. the most useful once you, once you've sort of seen everything. Oh, I love that idea, Chris. And they're most powerful. Like they're so powerful. And, and I'm not, 
you know, it's like I was talking about with planetary hours and, or, you know, when to give a certain medicine, you know, when to, you know, there's whole lists on when to pick certain herbs depending on its rulership and then when to process them. And I don't disagree. I mean, I may or may not be taking a spagyrics class as, you know, alchemy and spagyrics just to get my head deeper into it, but it's so detailed. And, um, but and, you know, and when to give a medicine, but, you know, I have trouble even getting my clients to take medicine, let alone telling them they're only allowed to have it at 7am and, you know, 2pm when they're at school pickup or something like that. I'm just excited if they take the medicine and do the, do the dietary advice that's given them, let alone what hour they're doing it. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with it because I do do things that way, but that is so detailed. It just overwhelms people. And I love that, I love that you're going back to those basics or that you're talking about it that way, because I love them. That Like every time I teach on the elements, I'm like, this is so, if we just worked on our elements medically, we would get so far. And your clients that don't understand a lot of astrology are gonna, it's easy to explain the elements and it's obvious. We see nature, you know, the elements are in nature everywhere. Every ancient society, you know, culture, if you look at like, you know, I'm in Australia, so the Aboriginal or, you know, in India or China or, uh, you know, oh my gosh, I got to make sure I, you know, um, I've gone blank. First Nations people all figured out, everybody figured out the elements first, you know, and I teach that when I teach medical astrology, we all have this lineup in traditional cultures of the elements and we all found the same ideas because that's studying the simplistic what's in front of you. And, and sometimes health comes back to that. Yeah, for sure. Um, you mentioned um, electional. It brings up a point sometimes I think about, which is um, sometimes I think when people get into astrology, there can be a tendency sometimes to focus on it too much to the detriment of other things. But it seems like most of the time, most uh, more sort of experienced practitioners recommend that clients that it's like you you need to put front and center like what you need to do first primarily like medically or practically speaking like like if you need to do something then you need to just do it and not necessarily wait or or put something off that's important for astrological reasons because sometimes that that can be not not good to do if if that makes sense or if you understand yeah. what i mean yeah yeah if i tell somebody they need to go off dairy i don't want them to wait for, I know that's not what you're talking about, but I'm just thinking about the things that people don't like to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you don't do it, you're not going to get any result. And electional is a big part of medical. And I'm going to admit that I don't use it a lot with, I, I'm so busy doing the groundwork with clients and getting them to do the basics. I, you know, it depends on what we're talking about with electional as well, because I probably do use it more than I think, but I don't, I'm not, I don't do predictive medical astrology. Mm. Like I, and I think it's an ethical issue for me. Um, and maybe I don't think I'm good enough at it, but I don't actually think that's it. I, I sometimes I have people show up and they're like, when am I going to get better? What astrologically, what is the timing of this illness? And there are incredible ways to look at stuff like that, but I don't think ethically it's my place to tell, you know, 
tell somebody, oh, you're not going to get better until this transit or this transit is really dangerous. Once you get past this transit, you might be okay. That's setting up a negative thought pattern for that person. And I don't want to be responsible for that. And so when people call me for consults and they're like, I want to know when I'm going to get better. How long's a piece of string, Chris? Like, I, I don't know if you're going to do the groundwork to get better. So I'm not going to predict because of a certain transit or alignment that you will or will not get better. Because if I say you will get better, are you going to do any of the work to get better? Or are you just going to hope that transit's going to get you better? Mm-hmm. And, and I think ethically, it's not my place to predict. I, I can't go down that route. Yeah. And I made sometimes. that decision lately. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, How I, do you feel about that? What do you think? There's a lot of really tricky and interesting like ethical issues when it comes to prediction or it comes to health and things like that. And it's tricky because sometimes it's like the astrologer doesn't have control over that. And so, and sometimes there is a question about like, is this w- where I think every astrologer, their main directive is always kind of like, you know, to do no harm and to do to be helpful and not do anything that would be harmful or counterproductive, either literally physically or or even psychologically or emotionally. And I think sometimes um, with timing that can be really tricky because there's things with timing that as, as astrologers maybe we can kind of deal with or adapt adapt to um, abstractly in terms of looking at timing techniques. But as a client, maybe there's certain things that wouldn't be helpful to to know or, you know, if if it's not like an optimistic looking like outlook for the near future. Yeah. I mean, I can go back. My original astrology teacher has passed away hmm. 18 years ago. She passed away. And Who was she that? Um, her name was Parampara Hughes. She's an Australian astrologer. Okay. Um, Kelly Surtees is original teacher, actually. Nice. And um, and she was this amazing Gemini who got, I'm sure she'd be okay with me talking about it. She got lung cancer. And then we were watching, you know, Pluto come to her opposition to her son. And it was like, Mm, what's going on? You know, like it's literally as literal as that, right? It like, right. you know, and you know, but do you, you know, are they, can you predict she's going to die at that opposition? No, but is there a chance? Yeah, absolutely. That's a big transit, Pluto opposite your son. Um, but other people, you know, millions of people every year have Pluto opposite their son and they're not dying of cancer, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but you don't know that she's not going to have some plutonic cathartic form of treatment that's going to completely change. And she goes into remission. You just don't like, I don't want to couch those, you know, words. And I don't want to, I'm just, you know, I get really nervous with, and there are people that are amazing at predictive astrology and I will refer on, but, but I decided a good 10 years ago that ethically with my medical knowledge and then with astro knowledge, I don't do any form of, it's probably not correct to say I don't do elective, you know, predictive astrology, but I'm very, very cautious ethically about it. I don't want to be impeding somebody's health or scaring the shit out of them or, excuse me. Right. Because even something like that, like a Pluto transit, like going through chemotherapy is already such like a hard- It's a Pluto experience. Yeah. That's a Pluto experience in and of itself um, that would, you know, fit the symbolism of that transit. 
pretty sufficiently. Um, so yeah, I understand then to say that somebody would or would not survive that. That's kind of a little yeah. bit beyond, beyond the scope of what you can say, um, you know, safely or, or reliably, especially when that statement could be like psychologically harmful or either oh, you so know, damaging. impactful. Sure. Yeah. And I think that's where not just medical, but all astrology, we have to be so, and, and I know people teach this, but I'm just reminding everybody, we have to be so cautious about how we explain things to our clients and, and focus on things. Cause we can scare the, bege- I had it happen once when I was a baby astrologer, I went and saw someone and they gave me so many negative things. I knew enough astrology to walk out of there and go, okay, that's their opinion. That's one level of this, mm-hmm. but um, they, and maybe I needed that experience as a practitioner to really teach me to be cautious. And I, I've never thought about that until just now, but you know, maybe that was the whole point of it. And um, yeah, I just think we need to be so cautious. So predictive. I get, I get nervous when I think people are amazing at it, but yeah, I steer a little bit clear of that one. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you want to be helpful and not healing, um, ethical issues. There's also, um, sometimes people get really lucky. It seems like meeting like a, um, a doctor or a, a health practitioner that they drive with or have good synastry with. And it seems like there's some element there that might be tied in with things like synastry or yeah. I know in some traditions, even just like having certain placements in your chart indicating, um, that maybe it, it will be easier getting like outside help for for certain things or things like that. And I always thought that was interesting, at least just abstractly or philosophically. If, it, is. If it is true. Okay. You, so that's something you've seen? I think it's totally, okay. I think it works that way. You know, like we talked about Neptune in the six, making things nebulous, as you said, which right. is like, I'm now going to use that word, but I'll credit you. I promise. <laughs> okay. I got um, a tr- trademark on that word. So. Trademark on nebulous yeah. with Neptune right. in the six. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um in traditional medical, we um, there's a couple things. Well, a we talk about the seventh house being the doctor. We, uh, you know, um, in um, decumbiture, we we look at the seventh as well as who we're consulting. Um, but so w- we look at you know what's going on with that seventh house sinistry there. But we the bigger one that I have found more important, if you can access your practitioner's chart. Or if you can somehow figure out, you don't even need their whole chart. You just need to figure out how old they are (laughs) because they say you do not want your practitioner Saturn to sit within your sixth house. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because they say if the Saturn is in, you know, so your doctor Saturn in your sixth house, because you're just going to have a restrictive influence on their health. It's not going to work. It's not going to flow. And it's, it's been, you know, and I've known that for years and I have worked around it sometimes with people where I will give them information, but I won't give them medicines. I send them to other people. Like if I know my Saturn is in a client six, I'll be like, okay, let's go for, you know, some structure and, and we use some other words of Saturn. And then I send them on to actually have medicines made because I don't want to hand those over. But I had this one experience where this student actually wanted to see me as a client. I just had this weird feel intuitively. And she wanted to come for asthma treatment of all things. I was like, something's just not sitting right. I don't, this doesn't feel like I should be treating her. And I don't know why. And I got a hold of her astrological chart. And sure enough, my Saturn was in her six. So if she's coming to me for 
breathing inability to begin with. And then my Saturn is sitting on that spot. That's like, that's a nightmare for her. So I was like, no, I need to, you know, I straight off center on. Um, so there's that, there's other signature, you know, there's other, you know, even let's go back to the elements, Chris, you, you know, I've had experiences where friends have all gone to a practitioner and rave about that. Oh my God, he was so great. I just right. like, I learned so much and I'm like, oh, I'm going to go too. I mean, this is even like going to psychics, right? And they're like, oh, it's such a great read, blah, blah, blah. I trot off to the same practitioner and I'm like ready for this amazing thing. And the person's like shows, they get locked out of their car and they show up 45 minutes late and then they're a bit flustered. And then they, you know, tell me all this stuff that I'm like, not not that just there was no vibe between me and the practitioner like there was just communication was like on levels apart and my three best friends loved him and um I put that down to the elements sometimes it's just that miscommunication between people it's probably the right information but the way they said it and the way I ingested what they said was incorrect yeah, I think that's so crucial. And there's something really important there just about, you know, because everybody in our lives, just in general, without astrology, we have certain people that we get along with, sometimes like strikingly well, and there's other people that maybe it just doesn't click as well with. And you can usually actually see that in the astrology. And, and that's yeah. really the point of synastry is it shows us why there are these mysterious um, connections that we have with some people and these mysterious ways in which certain relationships flow really well and others um, are more challenging or always things are at cross purposes, even for reasons that aren't the fault of any person, but sometimes just the circumstances hmm. sort of, you know, set things, put put us against certain people. And that that's also true in the context of like um, relationships between a medical practitioner and a client is a really interesting additional facet of just that basic principle. Yeah. And it comes down to feeling heard, doesn't it? Right. The conversation with a practitioner, you know, if you don't feel heard, you're not going to feel supported in what your health ailment is. Like I, I teach, I teach naturopathy at, you know, at a university nutrition. So I've got these final year naturopathy nutrition students who don't learn any medical astrology, but somehow sometimes they find out that that's what I do. And so I sneak in a little lecture for them as long as they're not going to tell the Dean and get me in trouble. <laughs> and, um, and one of the things I teach is the elements and communication. And I, I talk about as simple as, and I know we, you know, we as astrologers know the elements go so much further than sun sign, but these are people that don't know astrology. And I'm talking about, you know, if you're dominant air, and you've got a practitioner only using watery emotional language, that air sign is going to be incredibly uncomfortable with what the person has said. And, and I actually do it in class. I actually physically get close to the air sign person sitting there and I start asking them how they feel and you can see them squirming. You know, they have feelings, absolutely, but they want to think about how they feel before, you know, they have to process it here before it feels. And it's, it's my favorite counseling tool for practitioners. And again, it goes back to the basics, right? In astrology, when we're, we're talking to clients, if we just change our language elementally, they will understand what you're telling them better. And it, that's like free, that's free 
extra pluses for you as a practitioner that they, not that I'm doing it for people to like me, but they will feel like they got much more worth out of the consult if you explain things in their language and they're heard. Because like, it's like going to a doctor that talks to you too medically and you've got no idea what they're saying, right? They need to take it down to your level of education. And what yeah. a gift, what a gift that we all have, right? Yeah, I love that. So the ability to um, understand and to see a person's chart and understand how to better, how to best connect with them in a way that they're going to be receptive to and that being something that you can use to your advantage in, in a way that's going to help them more. Well, and in natural medicine, we talk about, you know, there's these quotes from like, I can't even remember if this is Paracelsus or Isaac Newton or somebody like that, but there's a quote about um, going and seeing a practitioner. I'm not going to get this quote. I'll find the quote for you, but it's about, um, you know, half of the medicines we give and all of the conversation is about occupying the person while the body heals itself, right? And so there's this whole thing about the body's trying to get better by itself, but then if we can start a communication where the person is feeling heard and seen, they on an energetic level will feel better and hopefully part of that nature body will come up and, you know, we're occupied being heard while the body's trying to heal. Did that make sense? I have to find you the quote. I'm obviously not very good at quotes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's definitely something really important about the the practitioner and that being, yeah, meeting the person where they're at and, and also being a good uh, medium for communicating that information seems really, really crucial. Yeah. And, you know, you think about, you know, when we talk about how friendships are so crucial and how you know, when you go and meet one of those true friends, you just start feeling better on a different level. And if we talk about health and emotional, you know, mental support, we know friendships are vital for longevity and happiness. You know, there's this, all this research on that. But again, going to your practitioner, whether it's an astrologer or a health practitioner, if you can have that deeper connection that they feel heard and understood, I literally teach this in naturopathy. That's half the job done. Them just feeling in that. It's why people go to counselors. You're in that space to be heard. But health practitioners that and astrologers, that's part of our, I think it's part of our job isn't just to tell somebody about themselves. It's to make them, you know, it's that enlightenment of understanding yourself that we love so much about astrology. And that's what we're actually doing is just teaching people about themselves, isn't it? That's really interesting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and it makes me think of how astrology is traditionally ruled by Mercury or astrologers are said to be ruled by Mercury um, because that. of that that role. And, and really, yeah, you are as an astrologer sitting down and trying to communicate something on a fundamental level about their life. And for a person to be un truly understood on that level, um, that is, you know, one of the core experiences that's so important about, uh, you know, getting a consultation. Yeah. And if you think about Mercury and, and Hermes, and he was, he's one of the healing gods. Like in, if you go back traditionally, being heard is the biggest part of, it's one of the biggest parts of healing, isn't it? Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and I think also that just, there's something about uh, also going back to the practitioner and the synastry thing between a patient and, and like a, I don't know, a practitioner, just something about the chance of the chance element of like what they're 
background was and what kind of things that they've seen and what kind of things they um, have been able to treat based on seeing previous patients. And there's like an element of chance there that's not random, but um, that might be another thing that ties in with the synastry in this really weird way is just like, if you have good synastry with somebody, maybe there's somebody that can help you because they just happen to have had you know, previous instances yeah. of seeing that exact thing versus like, if you have bad synastry, maybe they just haven't seen that thing and they're not able to connect like what your issue is for no fault of any their own or anything like that. But just as a matter of the the chance and the circumstances or, or like the fate underlying your the I intersection of you. Oh my God. I love that idea. I've never thought about it that way, but absolutely. Because you do, you get clients that come in that have been to five other practitioners and nobody's figured it out. And you're like, you look at the medical astrology or they, even if I'm not using medical and they tell you, and you're like, I will have that data bank of, oh, I had, I've had this experience. I've heard these symptoms from somebody before. Like, mm -hmm. like I had this one client um, as an example, who had outward, like super fit. I deal with a lot of athletes in naturopathy and he, he was doing Ironman triathlon and endurance events, super fit. He was like 50. And then all of a sudden he had this one bad event. Something happened to his kidneys that went wrong. And, but that didn't make any sense. And then all of a sudden his blood pressure was out of control. This is a fit, healthy 50 year old with no history of blood pressure issues. And all of a sudden four medications are not even controlling his blood pressure. Wow. And which is not, that was not normal in itself. Right. So there was a, there was a Neptunian thing happening here, right? Like we can't, nobody could figure it out. And doctors are just upping the medication because it should work, but it wasn't. And so, and I was just lucky enough to know that I had had a previous client. And again, this might be sinistry, but I had this previous client who started to have blood pressure trouble but had a bunch of other symptoms, which pointed to gut parasites, like, yeah, gut, like parasites are a huge issue for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And lucky enough that, you know, within this guy's chart, cause I was doing medical, there were other issues around the bowel. He didn't have any bowel symptoms, which is what you normally get with gut parasites. Um, but he had other things pointing to those being weaker systems. And so between being able to see his medical and having that knowledge from a previous client, which hopefully probably was some random weird sinistry, I was like, I know this doesn't make any sense because it's blood pressure and that's a totally different system, but I think we need to go get you tested for gut parasites. Four parasites has to go through hardcore, you know, parasites sometimes get considered to be ruled by Pluto if we're going outers. Um, and you know, had to take a ton of antibiotics, a very plutonic, cathartic style of treatment, dealt with his parasites, no more blood pressure. Because he also wow. didn't have, there was no signatures for blood pressure in his chart. There was nothing to do with those rulerships of circulation and the, and the heart. And again, it's sheer luck. He could have gone to any other naturopath, but I had that knowledge and then I had the astrology to kind of go have a look at this system and it's just, yeah, it's a gift of the gift of the universe that they end up with you. I don't know. Yeah. Changed it. Like he was, went from four medications that made him feel terrible to none and mm. fixing a problem permanently. 
Yeah. That, that must feel really fulfilling also as a yeah. practitioner, the instances the where you are able to like really help somebody or oh where God. something can help alleviate or, or kind of change, change a person's life. The, I think that's why we're practitioners. I mean, you don't kind of go, Oh my God, I want to be this hero. And like, those are the times where you want to cry. You're so excited for somebody, mm. you know, and it's just sheer chance that you have the info they've booked in with you and you've, it's not that it's me that fixes it. I've just somehow obtained that information to help facilitate it. And I think that's one of the most amazing experiences you get to have as a practitioner, because you're going to have a lot that aren't like that, but the cathartic life-changing one, you never forget those amazing stories with your clients. And you only get one every few years. That's like, like that, but they also change you for the better. For sure. And I think astrologers yeah. get that too, right? We we get you can give people insight into them some into themselves. Like surely you've probably had emails over the years that someone's like, Oh, you told me this, and then it ricocheted to this and this, and oh my gosh, thank you. And you're like, they and they come out of the blue, those emails, right? Yeah, for sure. Like many years later. And yeah. that's always really fulfilling. Um yeah, I have a little and... file on my computer where I save those emails in case I'm having a bad day. I can go read those emails. I know right. that sounds, I'm never going to do anything with them. I don't use them as like testimonials or anything. They're just, and, and sometimes they're the, the patients that you thought went away and didn't do anything. And it turns out you said enough that they just facilitated them. I had a lady contact me recently after a medical reading two years prior. And she's like, I lost a hundred pounds after that reading because of the path you sent me on. Now she did absolutely all of the work but I pointed out in medical astrology what was happening and what she could try. And it was just the right info at the right time. And I think mm. we're, what a gift that we get to do that with people. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and, and you build up also those case studies and those that history in, in the back of your mind that you then draw on from that point forward. And some of those really striking examples always stand out and sometimes become useful in future instances where the same thing comes up again. Oh yeah. And when they show up again and you're like, oh my God, I know this, I've got right. this, even though it's abnormal, I think I know what this is. And it's just, yeah, my little Aries gets really excited when that happens, but it's not, sadly, it's not as frequently as you wish. For sure. Um, all right. Well, uh, this is, we've covered so much. I'm actually really yeah. amazed at how many things we've touched on here. What, uh, what do you have coming up? Like, I know you've been very active and you, you teach and you do consultations and all sorts of things. Um, what do you have coming up or what are you working on right now? So I am, well, this has been really fun by the way, Chris, thanks for having me. Um, I, um, what do I have coming up? I have, I mean, I have I always have online classes happening. So um, what's your um, website? Oh, my website is astrologyofhealth.com. Nice and simple. Okay. So there's always classes going on. I'm actually just starting a mentor group, but people need to have been through three levels of medical with me to do the mentor group. So that's not very useful that I advertise that. <laughs> um, I have lots of stuff that's already pre-recorded um, courses. Um, a few colleges I'll lecture for coming up this year, but I guess my big thing and conferences, always lecturing because conferences are so fun. Um, my big thing is I'm in the middle of writing two different books. One of them is much smaller and hoping to get that done by the end of this year. And it's on the houses, but having nothing to do with 
regular astrology. It's just medical. And I'm, yeah, it's literally just how I see the houses kind of, we'll call it a booklet, how I see the houses implicated as the areas of the body and and how in natal reading, especially we need to look at that more because there's not in medical astrology, it's not been the traditional area of focus is the houses. It's much more the planets first and then the signs. And I think mm. through all my years, I've become this very house focused astrologer. And I'm not talking about like house systems or anything to do with that. I'm literally just talking about medical, but I have um, also, yeah, a kind of bigger medical astrology book, probably a year away, but starting to work on it with somebody else because I can't seem to get things done by myself. So um, it's time, 30 years, it's time for some books rather than some courses. So that's that's what I'm trying to work on, Chris. <laughs> nice. What's well, a good Saturn cycle thing? I think that's an appropriate like thing to complete a Saturn cycle with. Yes. Yes, it is. And I did, yeah, when I from when I started versus now. Absolutely. Yes. So I hadn't thought about it that way. <laughs> Yeah. Well, cool. Well, Which is I, obvious, but I didn't think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of things like that right now where I'm realizing there's a lot of Saturn cycles being completed of different things. And it's just interesting. Yeah. Seeing that, especially since Saturn just went into Pisces and seeing mm. what that is for different people, like starting to get a, like a preview of that and what that's going to be for the next two or three years. Yeah. And that is really when I started studying was when Saturn went into Pisces last time. So, um, okay. Yeah, that was my big, I think I, yeah, I literally started naturopathy when Saturn went into Pisces last time. So it was partially like a Saturn, was it a Saturn transit for you in, in a way? I don't, I forget, do, yeah. do you share yeah. how many of it's, your chart Yeah, I can share, details? I can share. Okay. So uh, um, yes, I'm Pisces rising. <laughs> okay. So yes, very obvious Saturn thing going on, obviously, but I hadn't looked at it. Do we ever look at our own astrology? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, sometimes I think we all go through different phases of, you know, intensely looking at it versus not paying attention to it as much. And it's really interesting always seeing different astrologers at different phases in that, you know, in terms of their career. Oh, I love it. And I love talking to other. Yeah, I love having other people do reads because you just don't I can't be bothered to look at my own or I'm too busy or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, books coming. Be patient, please. (laughs) But yeah, I've got some bigger, over COVID, I created some bigger medical astrology courses for people that wanted to learn medical astrology, kind of the way I, very naturopathic medical astrology, I would say. And I I have two levels. I have two styles of how I I teach. There's medical astrology for astrologers, which is much more technical, astrological, but more much more basic medical, not, not basic. I'm not dumbing it down, but I'm keeping it simple. And then I have a classes that are called medical astrology for health practitioners. So that's more baby style astrology, but deeper medically and with treatment. So those are my two, yeah, those are the two areas I've really kind of branched into. Awesome. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Well, we'll have to talk again when your books book or books come out, because um, yes. that sounds like really interesting topics for follow-ups. And yeah. then, yeah, otherwise people can check out your website for more information about your work yeah. and your different offerings. And I can yeah. put a link to that in the um, description below this video on YouTube, as well as yeah. on the podcast website for this episode. You're amazing. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining me for this today. This was great. It was awesome. It was awesome to finally get it together. <laughs> Even sure. though I had some technical issues. <laughs> you know, we all we all have, have days like that. But um, yeah, so thanks, I guess. <laughs> 
for joining me. Thanks everyone for watching or listening to this episode of the Astrology Podcast, and we'll see you again next time. A special thanks to all the patrons that helped to support the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our producers tier, including Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Mimi Stargazer, and Jean Marie Kaplan. If you appreciate the work I'm doing here on the podcast and you'd like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through our page on patreon.com. In exchange, you can get access to bonus content that's only available to patrons of the podcast, such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the monthly forecast episodes, our monthly Auspicious Elections podcast, or another exclusive podcast series called the Casual Astrology Podcast, or you can even get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, visit patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. If you're looking to get an astrological consultation, we have a list of recommended astrologers at theastrologypodcast.com slash consultations. The astrologers on the list are friends of the podcast that have been featured in different episodes over the years, and they have different specialties such as natal astrology, electional astrology, synastry, rectification, or horary astrology. You can get a 10% discount when you book a consultation with one of the astrologers on our list by using the promo code ASTROLOGYPODCAST. The astrology software that we use and recommend here on the podcast is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available for the PC at alabe.com. Use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we recommend a software program called Astro Gold for Mac OS, which is from the creators of Solar Fire for PC, and it includes both modern and traditional techniques. You can find out more information at astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount. If you'd like to learn more about my approach to astrology, then I'd recommend checking out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune where I go over the history, philosophy, and techniques of ancient astrology, taking people from beginner up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. You can get a print copy of the book through Amazon or other online retailers, or there's an ebook version available through Google Books. If you're really looking to expand your studies of astrology, then I would recommend my Hellenistic Astrology course, which is an online course on ancient astrology where I take people through basic concepts up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. There's over 100 hours of video lectures as well as guided readings of ancient texts, and by the time you finish the course you will have a strong foundation in how to read birth charts as well as make predictions. You can find out more information at courses.theastrologyschool.com. And finally, thanks to our sponsors, including The Mountain Astrologer magazine, which is a quarterly astrology magazine which you can read in print or online at mountainastrologer.com.